Hello, everyone. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, we are definitely going to be taking um, as many questions as we can. Uh, so please, we already got Greg in the queue. Line up in the queue if you want to get in early, and we will come to you um, in a few minutes. I have compiled a bunch of notes. I'm just kind of going to do an opening preamble and talk for a little, um, and then we'll open it up to questions and, and keep exploring what happened this week in the NBA. Um, it's, it's, it's the league that keeps on, that keeps on giving. Right. And I, I was talking to an assistant coach who I've known for years now, yesterday after the trade went down, he was kind of joking, like, you know, this is just, this is the league that never stops. And it's a great business to be in. It's a great uh, you know, source of entertainment, obviously, for everyone who cares about the game and uh, who is a diehard fan and and cares about the transaction side of it all as well. And it's just, it's, it's going to continue to, I mean, the, the league is in an arms race to win the title. It's just, it's considered to be a wide open race, regardless of the fact that Golden State has made, uh, you know, what's it, six finals in eight years. And the fact that, you know, we're still talking about the same type of teams, you know, the Milwaukee's, the, the Brooklyn's, the Phillies, the Miami's, um, you know, the Clippers, Phoenix, what have you, being these contenders. But there's opportunity to go out and make a move, whether it's, you know, the Cleveland Cavaliers going and getting. Donovan Mitchell, um, or, you know, the Sacramento Kings going and getting DeMontis Sabonis. There, there's plenty of, of room out there. And I, th- I think, you know, the NBA has, has really morphed into a sport amongst the front office executives as much as it's become a sport of what's going on on the court. That's kind of where I wanted to start off in terms of um, the notes I've gotten and, and, and co- after conversations I have with people after the trade went down and what have you. Um, I mean, number one, I think this is an objectively massive move for the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think, you know, you can call it an overpay if you want, but when you talk to Cavs personnel and when you have talked to them over the last, you know, 12 months or so, especially as they've kind of taken this next step towards contention in a post-LeBron era, um, you know, for a team like Cleveland to build a, a fortified contender with star power and multiple all-stars, it's hard to do that in free agency, right? And so to go out and give basically their next five drafts, or, or not their next five, but five full drafts, because that's a big detail. The timing of the draft picks we'll get to. That's a big, big, big detail. And it's a big reason why Big one of the many big reasons why Donald Mitchell is ultimately a member of the Cleveland Cavaliers and not the New York Knicks. Um, we'll get to that, but um, Kobe Altman's front office deserves a lot of credit here. I think, from from my objective chair covering the league, it seems like a, a big weakness that a lot of front offices ultimately can falter with is the failure to actually push their chips in the table when there's an opportunity to go and get a lot better. Um, and, 
I mean, it was right around this time last year. I don't know exactly when it happened, but you know, Cleveland goes out and does the three team sign and trade with Larry Markinen. Um And, you know, at the time I, I remember reporting it then um, I've said it probably time and again on here on Colin when uh, it's come up, but like as great as Larry Markin was as a, as a third big man in that weird wonky lineup with J.D. Bickerstaff, like I, I do believe he was always an asset play for the Cavaliers. They thought he would have retrade value as much as they liked him and thought he was good. Um, so Colin Sexton, I mean, clearly he wanted to get paid. There was a big gap. We talked about this with Chris Fedor here a couple of weeks back that ironically being that he ends up going to the jazz that Jordan Clarkson's contract, that roughly $13 million number um, was what Cleveland was comfortable with. Sexton wanted 20. We had talked about the jazz's interest in Colin Sexton. I most recently talked about when we had Michael Scotto on a few weeks ago. Um, but I mean, Kobe Altman's front office did the damn thing. Like they do shit. <laughs> and, I, and I think, you know, I was, I was talking with someone, I was texting with someone earlier this morning before we came up on the show here. It's interesting one seeing whether sometimes you'll see executives go all out and push their chips on the table and make a big move because they only have a year left on their deal. And, you know, the future's bleak if you're not in it, right? Like you need to figure out a splash to keep your job. Other times, you know, Kobe Altman's staff, you know, they just signed an extension through 27, 28. So just like Tim Connolly's crew in Minnesota, who obviously he's got a pretty rich deal of his own. Like when you, when you do feel like you've got security, it can also provide an opportunity to make a big move like that. Um, but I, I just, I, I think it's, I mean, there's going to end up being conversations where, where Kobe Altman's crew and the Cavaliers front office um, is moving up an echelon, if you will, in terms of the, the front office uh, hierarchy of rankings of, of, of big swingers. Like, you know, the Heat are always discussed as a team that's that's big game hunting and you can't count them out. You know, Daryl Morey back to his Houston days. Talk about the Raptors always, always sticking their nose in things. I mean, the Cavs, the Cavs are there. They, I mean, they're they're there now. Like, there's going to the conversation's going to continue. I mean, they snuck into the big James Harden deal and, and get Jared Allen. The Lowry thing turns into a piece to go get Donovan Mitchell. Um, I mean, Cavaliers people, from from my understanding, and nobody around the league, from my understanding, believed the Cavaliers were really a threat to go and get Donovan. That they, they had a package that clearly was interesting, but. Everyone I spoke to, there was even someone, a high-ranking executive I got on the phone with last night from another team who said to me that he had heard the exact package, basically, of what it ultimately became, and he didn't even think about texting it to me because they just didn't think it was real. The Knicks didn't think it was real. There was someone I spoke to directly involved. I think I said this with Chris Herring the other day. No one in the mix really believed that the Cavaliers were a viable threat. And people were certainly of, of the presumption that Utah was using the Cavaliers' interest as a threat and a negotiating toy with New York. 
Um, but that wasn't the case. And what ultimately, you know, the, the chain of events where, um, you know, the Knicks get this Monday night deadline to get a deal done or they're extending RJ Barrett. Um, you know, I have been told and I was told that that final deal, whatever this actual final total packages were, whether Grimes was in it or not, RJ was definitely involved. I do believe Monday night, it sounded like the Knicks were only putting two unprotected picks in that final offer because I think they believe they had a runway to get there. Because I have it confirmed. I've been told, I was told by someone this morning, the Knicks did at various points of their negotiations with Utah put three unprotected picks on the table. That offer was there. They would have they they would have been willing to get there in certain capacities. So I think anyone who is going to sit here and say that the Knicks didn't put up enough in on the table to go get Donovan, I don't think that's accurate to say. I do think that the Knicks felt like they were negotiating against themselves, and clearly they were wrong. Um, clearly there was, you know, enough out there from. Cleveland to get this thing done. A big difference, too, from my understanding. I mean, you look at the final package, Cleveland's picks are all out way in the future, right? Um, I'm pulling up the details now specifically because I don't want to get anything wrong. Um, But the Jazz really wanted from my understanding, they really wanted to get draft pick capital that was well into the future. And their first unprotected pick from Cleveland comes in 2025, the next one in 2027, the next one in 2029. The two pick swaps, which are unprotected, comes in 2026 and 2028. Now, my understanding is the Knicks unprotected picks were offered right away this year, next year. Um, And the Milwaukee pick that they have which I'm pulling that up now uh, to make sure we're fully accurate here. Um, I believe that pick is top four protected. Um, Yes, it's top four protected in 2025. So that is basically an unprotected pick as well. It's not. It's close. That's 2025. So if the Knicks offer was their next two unprotected picks and that 2025 pick, Well, that's not so out into the future where, you know, the majority of this capital coming to Utah now from Cleveland is after Donovan Mitchell's contract expires. And there's been reporting out there that he's excited about Cleveland and they're, you know, a great winning situation. But there's certainly a lot of skepticism around the league that he's going to actually want to stick around there long term. And if that contract expires and he's no longer there, then all of a sudden Cleveland or Utah sitting very pretty with owning the Cavaliers draft capital as compared to, you know, locking in the Knicks next three drafts um, where th- th- those picks with Donovan would likely be, you know, mid first rounders at, at, at worst in theory, you know, they probably would have been, you know, a bottom tier playoff team in the East. Let's just be realistic. That's also why, you know, the Knicks were reticent to put, you know, all the picks on the table because I did want to maintain flexibility moving forward. Um, so that was a big distinction. The fact that Cleveland could give the future picks that Utah wanted, especially the, you know, and the swaps would have been included with New York as well. 
But think about this. This is important. Danny Ainge, when he was in Boston, that infamous Brooklyn trade, they only got Jason Tatum from a pick swap with the Nets. Danny Ainge values pick swaps and the potential for, you know, 2028. Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows where the world's going to be? That is six years from now. The potential, that's basically a free additional. I mean, you can look at the Cavs package and the Jazz Hall as five unprotected picks. You can't. That's just logically what it will compute to. So that was a huge sticking point and uh, a big difference, I believe, in the ultimate packages. I think the other difference, too, was, you know, as we've talked about all along, the compensation for Donovan from whichever team was going to get him was going to be a sliding scale depending on which assets in terms of players were going back. Quentin Grimes is clearly um, a huge, you know, sticking point. The Knicks did not want to give him up. The Jazz wanted to get him. But I think a huge factor here, too, is the R.J. Barrett versus Colin Sexton of it all. And like I said on Wednesday, I do not believe the Utah Jazz, from everything I've heard, wanted to keep R.J. Barrett as a member of their core moving forward. It certainly sounded like the Jazz were only interested in acquiring him as an asset play to trade him down the line once again. And once he signed that extension, he he was – and even before that, even when he was just being a hypothetical player discussed with Utah, he was going to cost a lot more than the four-year 72 that Colin Sexton got. And, I mean, it's a big win for Colin Sexton. I mean, from all accounts I've heard, he was fully prepared. and His representation was fully prepared to take a qualifying offer out of one year, you know, whatever it was, seven to ten million. I don't know off the top of my head. Um, and risk that going into free agency without any security after a meniscus tear. Instead, he gets four years, 72 million, 18 a year, locked in, um, fully guaranteed, no options, straight four-year deal. I've got that confirmed. Um, and I think the Jazz liked him at that number and maybe even liked him as a player. I don't know that. For certain, but I mean, clearly they had been coveting Colin Sexton. I had wrote it, I'd written about it the very second that Donovan became available as I was leaving Vegas. Wrote it at Bleach Report that they're interested in him. I talked about it with Michael Scotto a week ago. They 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 really liked Colin Sexton. So I think that's a big difference too. Sexton at 18 versus RJ at 30 is is a massive, massive, massive change in valuation of those guys. Um so I think that pretty much rounds out what I've got um, in terms of off the top of my head, what notes I've jotted, jotted down. Um, let's go to questions. I'm, I'm sure there'll be more info I can bring as, as my brain gets jogged and people come through. Um, we're going to run through as many questions as we got, and, and we'll, see, we'll see how long the show lasts. So we'll bring up Sean. Sean, how you doing, man? Hey, Jake. How are you? I'm doing well. What's going on? So what now for the Knicks? We lost Andre Mitchell, who was kind of like our hope, my hope for the season. Like, what now? I heard there's people hoping that we trade for SGA, but I don't think that's happening. No, I mean, I have not heard those conversations have happened. He'd be a logical guy to go pivot to try and go get. Um, 
but I I haven't heard like of a clear next move for I mean the Knicks are shell shocked by this for sure. New York people absolutely believed and their and their actions showed it with that Monday night deadline. They believed they were clearly in the driver's seat. They believed they had plenty of time. Now, last time we talked on Wednesday, we said, you know, training camp would be the next, you know, proverbial deadline to get a deal done. I mean, the, the Knicks were clearly operating patiently with, with no stress at all about the situation. They thought Donovan was going to be their guy. They thought he was going to eventually come to them. So I, I, I'd be surprised if they'd even, like, have, have an option to ready to go and they're going to go make a strong pursuit right now. They certainly could. I mean, there's a lot of time between now and training camp. They certainly could go and pivot and make an aggressive pitch for anybody, but I don't think they were prepared to in the slightest. Yeah. We really thought that we were like hundred percent getting him. We, we thought we were like ready to go, but then this happened. It was cr- kind of crazy. No one, no one in the NBA. I'm telling you, no one yeah. in the NBA, New York people included Cavaliers people included believe that, Cleveland was a, a, a real serious threat, but they were an option. And I think even, you know, jazz people will, will say that the Knicks ultimate offer would have been better than what Cleveland's was, but they've been haggling for two months. And I, I do think there's, I do think there was some animosity at play. I, I do think that ultimately fatigue kicked in and um, the haggling took two months and ultimately Cleveland was there and, and, yeah, maybe there was a bit of a, a bit of a victory on Utah's side of things of not sending Donovan to his preferred destination. I haven't heard that specifically, but I've I've certainly heard that. You know, there wasn't a lot. There was definitely love lost uh, between Utah and New York during this process. So yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's that's evidenced by the fact that the Jazz. I mean, the Jazz did not. I had this solid. The Jazz did. I know it's been reported already, but. The Jazz did not circle back with New York after Monday to try to, you know, get a better offer out of Cleveland. So that that's that's the date that that tells you all you need to know. Yeah, and I actually heard I think Woj said that the Knicks offers offered Mitch Robinson, RJ, and OB alongside three unprotected firsts in like July. And yep. honestly, I think Danny Inge saved us by rejecting that offer. That's a fair point. I mean, I've definitely seen. And thanks, Sean. I'm gonna to go to the next caller, but I've definitely yeah. seen Knicks fans uh, and and people in my life have been kind of, well, it would have been too much, you know, good riddance. But I mean, you also wanted to get the guy, you know. So it it, it, it I I do see both sides of that of that argument. Shay, what's going on? What's up, man? I just had a couple questions from a Western Conference point of view. Um, for the Warriors specifically, have you heard anything about? Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins receiving contract extensions this offseason. And then from the Lakers, are they just going to run it back with Russell? Because I'd like to see that as a Warriors fan. <laughs> um, the Lakers, I mean, we talked about this uh, with Chris Herring when a question came. Um, hold on one second here. I just got to send a text message. Um, the Lakers were clearly, you know, waiting around the periphery of the situation and there was, you know, the greatest potential to move Russell Westbrook and get back, um, valuable pieces 
resided in this type of three-team framework with Utah and New York, from my understanding. I mean, the Indiana stuff, I mean, that's pretty simple, right? It's just Russ, Buddy, Russ for Buddy and Miles Turner. Like, if, if you can't come to terms with the pick compensation at this point, I mean, I don't know. It doesn't seem like that's really something that Indiana wants to do. I mean, there, there's conflicting intel on that. I've heard some people say, like, the Pacers do want to do it and that, um, you know, I've heard Miles Turner is the real guy that the Lakers want, not necessarily Buddy Heal with the Rob Palenka connection. Like, there's it, been conflicting in, intel in that situation, but – They've had plenty of runway to make that happen. Does does Utah, New York, three-team deal, does that whole thing – and Evan Fournier, I mean, wasn't going to go back to Utah. It seems pretty clear now. He would have gone with a first-round pick to the next team. I mean, the only third team, like I said, there was this three-team, you know, idea out there. The only third team I ever heard linked was the Lakers. Um so now that that's off the table, sure, there are the two team structures that could work between Utah and L.A. The Bogdanovich, Mike Conley package works um, salary-wise with Russ. Um, I was even fooling around with it with the trade machine last night. You could even do Jordan Clarkson and Rudy Gay with Bogdanovich to make the math work. Um, but we're going to see ultimately now that you know pieces are being cleared off the board. So we're going to see now – where talks can go for LA. But like I said with on Wednesday, um, I'll say it now too. Like I, I certainly am of the mind and it has seemed very clear that um, both the Lakers and Russell Westbrook would, would prefer for him to be elsewhere before the season starts. Um, but I also think all sides are prepared for that not to be the case and for him to be back. Like we've seen Mark Stein reporting about Darvinham figuring out ways to use those guys together and what have you. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, the Lakers kind of do move to front and center now. Now, Donovan's been traded. Kevin Durant has gone back to Brooklyn. The Lakers and Russell Westbrook is kind of the the last big – even Colin Sexton's off the board now too, right? So, the Lakers and what they end up doing with Russell Westbrook, and it does kind of seem now like the market really is um, zeroed into Indy or Utah for Russ. I haven't heard of another potential outcome. I just said I don't really know the the, the validity of Indy. That, that's kind of where the offseason map is, is, is handicapped right now. Jared, what's going on? Yeah, quick question about the Jazz. We have a lot of, of younger assets now um, with, you know, all the guys that we got in yesterday's trade and, and Rudy Gobert's trade and, and Taylor Important Tucker. Have you heard of, I guess, who the Jazz are, are looking to keep out of those young assets and – who are guys that maybe moved for additional first round picks or additional assets? Yeah, there's plenty of folks who Utah could clearly um, move. Um, I think the only names that are like definitely on the trade block, from my understanding, are Bogdanovich, Clarkson, Mike Conley. I think they'd love to move off of Rudy Gay. I've heard Leandro Balmaro's name, he's available as well. Outside of that, I mean, I think they'll listen to everybody else, and they'll listen to Malik Beasley for sure. Um, but I feel like he might have greater trade value for my conversations with people once he, once we get into the season. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's going to be someone that teams have interest in as well. Um, the rest of the guys, Jared Vanderbilt, like I think – 
I think a team's going to have to knock Utah socks off in order to make that happen. Um, on a great value deal, young player fits into their rebuild. Colin Sexton seems to be a player that the Jazz actually do want to keep. Like, trust me, I got several texts from people on the league kind of joking, laughing, like, oh, is he just, is this just a, just a stopover before he goes to the Lakers, before he gets rerouted to the Lakers? And no, it does sound like Utah um, wants to keep him long term. So the veteran pieces and Malik Beasley, I would say, is like, I mean, he's clearly a younger guy than those other pieces. Those are the, the names I would look out for. I think the younger pieces will be there um, for for the time being, yeah. Okay, Jared, we are moving on to DJ. DJ, what's up? Hey, Jake, you hear me? Yeah, how you doing? Hey, good, man. How are you doing? Thanks for all your great work. Um, just so two quick questions about the Lakers. So I know you said like Colin Sex is kind of off the board, but until that trade's actually like completed, is he able to get rerouted to uh, the Lakers? And um, so also what is like Miles Turner's actual like actual market? Like so if um, like Indiana was able to get a first for him, wouldn't they already have moved him? So I was thinking and, you know, playing with the trade machine, you can do like Turner and Boyan to – Lakers and Russ going to, um, you know, uh, Indiana and like, you know, a little feel like uh, Neesmith going to the Jazz and that kind of works. Has that been played around with or um, what do you think um, the teams would say about that? That's interesting. I, I have not heard of a three team uh, concept with, with those two teams. Um, you know, to, to your point of what the value in the market is for Turner, I mean, Turner has been on the trade market for damn near three years now. And he's been valued in the same type of price point that Aaron Gordon and Jeremy Grant were at where, I mean, Grant went for less ultimately, but I mean, the Pacers have wanted two first round picks for him. Um, so to your point about like, if there was a first round pick for like for him, he would have been moved. I, I believe Indy wants more than that, which I think is part of the holdup there with, with the theoretical buddy miles swap for Russ. Like if it's two unprotected picks is the, is the best, offer that the Lakers can give, especially now that THT's in Utah. I mean, there's very, very, very little left in the Lakers asset cupboard to go and get better outside of those two unprotected picks because Russ is not viewed as a value play at all here, right? So, um, I mean, Kendrick Nunn's got very little trade value being that, you know, he didn't play for a whole season. Um, so, if, if you're paying the picks to compensate a team just for absorbing Russ's salary. Then also, you know, Miles Turner, the Pacers value him at two picks and Buddy Heald. I, you can understand why that deal hasn't gotten done yet. But that being said, no one has clearly met the Indiana Pacers asking price for Miles Turner anyway, as we did see with Jeremy Grant in Detroit. Eventually, they might have to come down in order to move him. The one tricky thing about trading him overall this, this year and – you know, I definitely will write at some point like a trade candidate article um, about who to, you know, who's on trade watch for this season. I mean, Turner's at the top of the list, just being that. And look at we, we've talked about this in the past. Just look at how the transaction cycle has gone in the last couple of years. It's been very reflective of this, but upcoming free agency and an upcoming lucrative payday triggers a lot of early trade talk and early trade activity. So, Miles Turner's next extension is going to be the ultimate context for 
a team trading for him too, because you're, if you're giving up legitimate assets to go get him, then you're going to have to back that up by paying him too. And he's going to want to get paid. And he also, from everything I've heard, you know, is looking forward to the opportunity to be in Indy this year as, you know, the center without Sabonis there and showcase what he can do as being healthy before he gets paid or before he's up for being paid. So that's just going to be a really, you know, critical element to his trade candidacy as well. Yeah, that makes total sense. And just one last question. So, like, say Russ does get moved somewhere and he gets bought out. Like, canvassing the league, right? Like, he's too good of a player to go to, you know, somebody that's tanking. And he's, it's hard to find a fit for him on a team that's trying to win. The only one that really makes sense is Washington to me, right? Because, you know, they need a point guard. They have Monte Morris. But, you know, he would be a big upgrade there. Do you see any other team that, you know, not even because Wizards aren't a contender, but, you know, trying to make the playoffs, that would make sense with Russ, considering that he probably doesn't want to come off the bench? Yeah, that's – I mean, I, I was talking about this with someone yesterday too. Um, like. In theory, and look, we saw this, um, we saw this come to fruition and come into light with uh, Thad Fouché's um, statement to ESPN. I mean, Russ clearly wants to get traded and get bought out, and um, you know, hit the hit the open market. But a that limits you to being a minimum player. And it's very difficult to ever be anything more than a minimum salary player once that does happen. And B, if you're a minimum player, you probably are going to have to come off the bench. And what what situation? I mean, I, I've been I was asking people yesterday what situation really is out there for a team that would want to take him in in that situation that he would be willing to to go into that situation and, and be a reserve player. I don't know what that is. Um, I haven't heard anything solid enough to bring it to you guys publicly. I, I've, heard, I've heard some theories from some from some people, um, but I think that is a bit getting ahead of ourselves here because he might not get traded and get waived at this point, right? Like at this point in time, the the cards are that he's more likely than not going to be sticking in LA. But then again, like we thought Donovan was going to New York, so things could change. But you're right; it'll be tricky in the scenario where he does get traded, he does get bought out and he is looking to sign somewhere else because he's going to have to accept playing off the bench. That's just going to be required. I mean, like I'll, I'll, I'll throw out one scenario and in and, and the spirit of the show title, like, please, please don't aggregate this. I'm not saying that the Brooklyn Nets have showed any interest in Russell Westbrook at all. I'm not saying that. But the type of opportunities that would be out there for him would be like signing in Brooklyn on a minimum and playing like a Bruce Brown ball roll off the bench. Like that, like that's the type of you know limited opportunity he's going to have out there. That I, I really is that really is the the, the cruel reality for what's facing ahead of him. Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks so much, man, and hopefully I, get, I didn't get you in trouble reporting. No, that you're good. You're good. I didn't report that, so we're good. I know. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you, DJ. Zach, what's going on? Hello. Hey, um, what's going on, uh, Jake? Happy Friday. Um, Thank you. Same to you. So ap- apologize to all the Nick fans. It's okay. It stings right now. But guess what? You still got all those assets. You still got a young core. 
it's not like you're going to contend for a championship anyways. you got about nine, ten <laughs> teams that are better than you, right? It's okay. Revisit that the deadline. Maybe you move Randall with some of those picks, and you see where the East stands. So my question is to you, Jake, the East is so stacked and deep right now, right? Do you see any of those top teams, you know, those top four or five teams, making another move to level up? Because it's a very, very deep conference now. It is a very deep conference. Um, and look, the NBA, the NBA asset war is kind of, it's an arms race, right? When, uh, even at the smaller level where, um, and Zach, I'm going to mute you just because you got some loud stuff in there. Um, when, even at a smaller level, when the Sacramento Kings go out and get the Monas Sabonis, um, New Orleans goes and makes their deal for CJ McCollum. I don't think, you know, I mean, maybe Miami is going to potentially look at, I mean, they're always looking to get better. So, you know, maybe the Heat will see this as a, a chance for like, okay, Cleveland's kind of, you know, nipping at our heels now. Or, or do we have to go out and make a move? We lost PJ Tucker. Jimmy Butler's going to be a year older. Kyle Lowry's going to be a year older. Like, do we have to go step up our game too? But I, I don't think Boston and Philly, um, Milwaukee, I mean, I keep hearing, it's kind of funny, I hadn't heard it for a while, but I keep hearing people now say, like, you know, if Chris Middleton was healthy, the Bucks would have won the title last year. Like, people, are, the Bucks are certainly talking to themselves about that, too. Like, the Bucks view themselves, that a lot of people in the East view the Bucks as basically, you know, the de facto reigning champions. Um, and that's not to discredit what Golden State did, because who knows if they would have won, but people think they would have had a you know, a really, I mean, obviously a fighting, punching chance to get out of the the Boston series uh, with Middleton and what have you. Um, I don't think those teams are going to be thinking they got to go make a move. But could Toronto, could Chicago, could Atlanta, could Charlotte, could New York? You know, they still have this asset play. I mean, to the guy, I think it was Sean who said the Shea thing earlier, like, yeah, the second that there's another player out there, whether it's Damian Lillard, like any player, Bradley Beal, any player that we've talked about in the past, any player who we haven't talked about in the past, it becomes an unexpected situation where they are disgruntled and want to get – like the Knicks are going to be at the front of the line again. Um, I do think all those teams are going to be starting to think about, okay, like Cleveland is up the ante. What are we going to do? I mean, there's basically nine top teams in the East right now. With, you know, looking back at last year's standings, Miami, Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, Toronto, Chicago, Brooklyn, Atlanta, Cleveland, like, that's your top nine in some order. And then you're going to have Charlotte, New York, and Washington battling for that 10 spot, basically. You know, I mean, maybe one of those teams can be a little bit better than that, but it really seems like they're kind of, you know, in in that next tier. And then Detroit, Detroit's going to be a sneaky team fighting for that playing tournament team as well. Honestly, I think people are prepared for that, but you know, are the Pistons going to be looking to make moves to inch that much closer to making the playing tournament? I don't think so. I think the ripple effects from the Donovan trade will, will potentially impact that, that Toronto, Atlanta, Charlotte, New York, Washington tier. I mean, the wizards definitely have been poking around Charlotte too. We're poking around on Donovan. And I, th- I think just like I said at the top, most teams in the NBA right now are looking at how to get how to get better 
and how to up their ante to try to compete, whether it's for the title, if you want to move into the play-in tournament, if you want to move out of the play-in tournament and into the playoff picture in earnest. That's and it's a really exciting time to be following the NBA transaction game. It really is. Zach, anything else? Uh, yeah, just like you know, it's such a deep conference. I don't think it's. I mean, it's it's insane how much talent there is in the NBA. And uh, you're right, the transaction game right now is amazing. But you know, do you see like maybe a team like an Atlanta? Do you think anyone's going to be a seller at all? Like, do you think any of those teams? And you know what? We don't. We're not going to compete. Like, we don't have the talent. Let's just break it down. Uh, this is putting me in jeopardy of getting in trouble as well. But I'll say, I mean, um, I'll say uh, the Wizards, I mean, they're trying to rebuild this thing around Brad. But, I mean, if they're really out of the playoff picture, you know, we could see we could see things change come, come February. Indiana is going to be a seller, right? Like, I think they will still be looking to get back a rich package for Miles Turner. I mean, shit, they were they were go they were willing to go out and make that offer for DeAndre Ayton, right? Like they were very much contemplating a future without Miles Turner, and were ready to work with Miles Turner's people, who, by the way, same representation as DeAndre Ayton, try to find him a new home. That would be uh, that would be where I look. Uh, first thought of mine right now. Um, that's potential, potential. Again, the Wizards want to win. Like the Wizards clearly made moves. They're trying to invest around Bradley Beal. They're trying to get there. Um, I mean, I could see the Knicks, in theory, try to continue to – I mean, certainly expect them to try to continue to move Evan Fournier. I think they will explore avenues for Julius Randle as well. But now that they don't have that ball-dominant guard next to Jalen Brunson that they were expecting and Donovan Mitchell – I mean, if the Knicks want to try to compete like, as, as currently constructed, like, I mean, they need Julius Randle to get back to his all-star caliber form. That's just kind of the, the reality of it all. Uh, Sig with Malcolm Brogdon. How you doing? Sig, you were on mute. Okay, Sig, I'm going to go to Harris Stottle. Hello? Oh, sorry. Are you here? You're here. We got it. What's up, Sig? Sorry, I didn't know. I... What's up? Big fan. Big fan of your work. Keep it up. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate quick, that. Uh, just a quick question about the Celtics. Um, now that Gallo has just been reported with a, a torn ACL. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I just saw that news. Mm-hmm. Very unfortunate. Yeah. So does that increase the chances of Carmelo Anthony possibly coming to Boston? Because I know Brad Stevens was interested in him. I mean, my granted, it was like seven years ago. So, I mean, we need another scorer off the bench. So, uh, I'll just take a question off the air. And again, thanks, Jake. <laughs> you got it, man. Um, to be honest, I haven't talked to anyone with Boston since that news happened um, because it happened right before we went on live here. Um, I mean, yeah, they're going to absolutely be looking at options because they were very, very, very excited about Gallo. I mean, clearly they invested in him and – I think not only did, did they see it in the postseason, but they were feeling for a while that they needed some ancillary bench scoring. Um, so, yeah, Carmelo would be, I mean, at the top of the list of guys who are actually available right now who can do that. 
Um, so it just it seems like a logical conclusion. Yeah, and I, I, I know they they have certainly kicked him around. Uh, will he be the first call they make? I can't tell you that confidently because I haven't had a chance to to ask that. So that's all I really got for you, unfortunately. Aristotle, what's up? Hey, Jake, thanks for taking my call. Um, So my question is, I guess, would your sense around the league be that the Jazz actually got more than what the Knicks were offering for? Mitchell just seems like, you know, the Cavs and Knicks were both offering pretty similar draft comp. And for some reason, the Jazz evaluated the Cavs picks as being worth more, um, not to mention the Knicks were also offering the way more premium assets and Barrett and quickly in their reported final offer, I guess. Yeah. Just one of your thoughts on that. And if you've talked to anyone around the league and also just curious if, uh, you know, you feel like them not going back to the Knicks to see if they could up their offer might be, uh, you know, kind of a slight there, but yeah. Yeah. Curious on that whole thing. Yeah. Well, one quick thought, kind of bridging the gap between last question and this question. I mean, there's also obviously a lot of synergy between Utah and Boston with Danny Ainge. Um, and I would have to think that with their fire sale going on, and Bogdanovich would be a name I would think Boston would have to kick the tires on. Other players down the list there too. Um, so that's just – I'm just putting two and two together, connecting data points. Um, I would I would have to imagine that a call will be at least placed to try to figure out I mean, if you're if you're going shopping for a playoff caliber rotation piece, um, you know Utah's got a couple of those guys readily available, right? So that that, that would just seem to make sense. Um, plus the history, obviously. Um, in terms of the the value, I mean, I think people are on the NBA from from the conversations I had yesterday and this morning. Like they think Utah got a very good deal. I think ultimately. And as you know, as I talked about at the top, with uh, you know what what the Knicks offer was at the beginning of the cycle, and where they probably would have been willing to go had things gotten back, you know, to the negotiating table, they probably, I mean, almost assuredly, Utah could have gotten more from New York at the end of the day. Um, but they got more of what they were looking for from the Cavaliers. Like I, I really do think the future picks way out into the future was something that. Utah really valued highly compared to a bunch of picks right now. Um, and that, that future unknown being a, being viewed as a positive from the jazz side of things um, being, you don't know what that 2028 swap with Cleveland could ultimately get you. That 2029 unprotected pick could ultimately get you versus um, from my understanding, the Knicks unprotected picks were right now um, and that Milwaukee pick from 2025 while Donovan's still on the team. And I mean, I'm watching Greece and Croatia on ESPN plus at this very moment, as we talk, Giannis is, if not the best player in the world, clearly in the argument, he's not going anywhere anytime soon. How good's a Milwaukee 2025 pick really going to be, even if it is top, just top four protected, even if it was unprotected, you know, which I don't think that the Knicks would have been able to negotiate that with Milwaukee, but I'm just speaking conceptually there. So in terms yeah. of what the Jazz's rubric was for future picks, future picks that were unprotected, future picks that had high ceiling, that Colin Sexton versus R.J. Barrett thing we talked about earlier, especially at their price points for their next contract. If you're looking at it, even if you're not buying that the Jazz want Colin Sexton and want him to be a piece moving forward, if, you, if, you're, if you're calling that bullshit and saying they're going to flip him anyway, 
him at 18 million is a much easier piece to flip than RJ Barrett is too. Let alone the fact that, you know, time and again, from the very get go of the process, no one I talked to around the situation with intimate knowledge of the situation, believed Utah wanted RJ Barrett as a part of what they're building there. Um, so I don't really think it necessarily apples to apples. Like clearly those were the two final offer packages, you know, collection of assets that they were deciding between, but they weren't necessarily the same type of deal that, you know, they were, they were, there were enough differences where they're, um, you know, it's apples and oranges, I guess, to, to, to use the, the broken, uh, metaphor expression there. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely seems weird to not go for like the most cumulative value, regardless of the term of the picks. Like, I feel like you can always exchange current year picks for future year picks, just like the Knicks did exchanging their 11th pick for three future first um, with varying protections. But yeah, it's I guess true. that's a true very, point. very bizarre, I guess, just definitely yeah. feels like Ainge kind of let his uh, personal like feelings and uh, frustrations with the last month and a half of negotiations getting in the way here. Um, so yeah. that's very frustrating as a Knicks fan. Yeah, I mean, look, there's someone I talked to yesterday who was like, why wouldn't you want the Knicks picks now? I mean, clearly they haven't proven to be able to get out of the first round, to be able to, you know, build a, a long-term winner here. Like, wouldn't you want to see what this – in a loaded Eastern Conference, wouldn't you want to take the picks now and see what they could get? But that, that was not what they wanted. They wanted future, future, future draft packets um yeah and that's that's what they wanted i mean that's what they got from minnesota too and i i definitely kept saying you know look at the wolves packages as as interesting benchmarks and ideas on what utah wants for donovan and like the pick packages are are really similar right um in terms of like the years how how the, the structure of it is with the swaps in between um so um, I'm, I'm pulling up the Rudy thing now. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, they, they got picks in 27 and 29, and the picks, and I believe those are the unprotected ones. Like it's the Jazz had a goal. The Jazz had a goal. I mean, someone who was familiar with the talks, let's say, I wouldn't say involved, but very familiar, told me on Thursday after we did the podcast, he listened and kind of gave me some feedback on on what I'd said, and he said, you know. This might ultimately come down to whether or not the Knicks will give their 27 and 29 pick unprotected. Like that was clearly something that Utah was, was very focused on. Yeah. And, but also one other thing, like they could have easily gotten both Sexton and RJ, right? Like you can just flip Bogdanovich in a sign and trade or even whatever salary matching, even if it's Fournier, maybe you attach like a, you know, heavily protected pick that the Knicks give you to get it. But very easy to like navigate both of those situations, in my opinion. But yeah, you're, very. You're, you're saying they could. You're saying you think they could have done the deal with RJ and then go on, go gone out and got Sexton as well. Yeah, I mean nobody was offering Sexton that money. The Jazz were the only suitor, it seems. So it's like you just do a sign and trade there. After well, well the, I, I, I don't. I'll, I'll, I'll just push back on that. I'll just push back on that and say I don't know how much of an appetite. I mean, there were no other players that went back with Donovan to Cleveland, right? Like, I don't know how much of an appetite um, the Cavs really had in terms of trying to, to move Sexton. For, I mean, the first idea I wrote about at Bleacher Report um, and I had heard um, was that, that, that the Jazz had pitched was, you know, Mike Conley for Sexton. And, like, that was not something that – I don't know. 
I don't, I don't know any much more specifics outside of the Conley thing, but when I talked to someone very high-ranking in Cleveland about the Sexton sign-and-trade possibilities with Utah well before the Donovan thing even seemed like it. Like that, that was even separate Donovan. Because I do think at first, the way it was communicated to me, Utah at first contacted Cleveland about bringing Sexton in to pair him next to Donovan. Um, I don't think the, the Cavs had much interest down the board and other pieces that um, that Utah could have sent back. So I, I, I don't think you could have just snapped your fingers, gotten RJ, and then gotten Colin Sexton as well. I, I think there would have been a lot more of a uphill battle, I guess, to go and get Sexton from Cleveland if Donovan Mitchell wasn't coming back in return. Interesting. Um, but, yeah, anyway, thanks for taking my many questions there. I appreciate it. You got sorry, I just got another phone call. Um Josh and then Betsy and then we'll call it a day. What's going on, Josh? What's up, Jake? So Jonathan Macri reported on his show that the Knicks were prioritized looking to move to this Randall before the season starts. I'm wondering, is there any truth to this rumor? Sorry, my girlfriend keeps calling me. <laughs> Can you repeat the question? Mm-hmm. So Jonathan Macri reported on his show that the Knicks were looking to move Julius Randle before the season starts. Have you heard the same? I haven't heard that so definitively. Um, but like I said earlier on the show, I mean, that they, they have looked at moving him in the past, and I fully expect them to continue to look for ways to move him, to move Evan Fournier, um, and, and try to keep building this thing better. Because, I mean, look, let's just, let's just call it what it is. Like, from 2019 with KD and Kyrie till, I mean, they wanted to go and get Dame, like this whole Donovan pursuit, like this Knicks regime has failed to go out and get the all-stars and to build a, a sustainable winner that they were brought in three years ago to do. And not too many regimes get longer than three years. That's just, that's just the reality. So I think the Knicks are going to continue to be very, very active between now and the trade deadline to try to move this thing closer to being a legitimate, to being where where Cleveland is right now. Honestly, that's kind of the easiest way to to handicap it. Um, They are going to absolutely be active. I don't know if they have, you know, a, 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 a clear goal of saying, let's get rid of, uh, let's get rid of, Julius Randle before training camp, but yeah, they're going to continue to look at ways to shed salary and to get better between now and the deadline. That is without a doubt. Yeah. So my other thing to say was there's also reports that the Knicks already looked to move Randall earlier this off season. What teams have they called to try to move him? I'm sure they've called every team. I mean, the only talks I know that, they were definitively having with him, um, at least like in co- in concept, um, the Lakers. And I know back before the Halliburton Sabonis thing happened that there was some talk about a De'Aaron Fox Julius Randle thing, but that's that's definitely old news. Um, I look there 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 is not a lot of interest in Julius Randle around the NBA at that contract. That's just that's just what it is. I mean, it's going to be really difficult to move him. And I mean, he's got, he's got, this is the first year, a four year deal where he's got a player option on the fourth. 
like I'm sure they're calling around pretty actively. I, I cannot tell you a team that's you know interested and eager. I I, I really don't have that. I I don't know if one exists. Yeah, wouldn't Randolph Randolph or Hayward straight up make the most sense? Since Charlotte has been previously interested in Randall. I mean, I guess I don't think Charlotte is dying to swap out Gordon Hayward's contract, which is shorter. I mean, there's still some time left on it. Pulling his, and I believe he's got two years left on his deal. Randall's. Oh no, he is. Yeah, he's got two years left. So Randall's. I mean, the Hornets were looking at potentially moving Hayward for Rust as a you know, a beacon of light for, for agency opportunity sooner rather than later. Like I, I can't see, I cannot see Charlotte wanting to take on, you know, Hayward's deal comes up in 24. I mean, Julius Randle, you have to operate. Uh, you have to operate under the assumption he's picking up that player option. So he's on the books till 2026. I, I, I really don't think Charlotte's going to want to do that. I, I could be wrong, but from everything I've heard, that does not sound like something the Hornets have an appetite for. Yeah, that's all. Thank you for answering yeah. my questions. You got it, man. Thanks, Josh. We're going to go to our last call, Betsy. I don't know how you're going to take this comment, Betsy, but my mom's name is Betsy. So what's going oh, on? Really? How are you? I do that a lot, actually. Um, okay, thanks, Steve. Thanks for taking my call. So my question was about Jay Crowder. Um, yeah. That's been kind of like a low-key trade, maybe a trade demand. I don't know if there's, like, trouble in paradise, but, like, what do you think um, they could get for him? And, like, where do you think he could be a good fit? I know there's teams like Brooklyn that are, like, you know, woefully thin up front and on the wings. So I feel like he could have some value to a contender, right? Yeah. I mean, to go back to that question about gal replacements, obviously – Crowder had a lot of success in Boston under Brad Stevens. Um, you know, I, I could see them having interest. I mean, Miami definitely had interest in him. He was there in the past. He will be – I mean, Jay Crowder is in that that veteran championship contending mercenary class like Trevor Ariza was all those years and how P.J. Tucker has been. Like, yeah, I, I think – I mean, I, I certainly heard his name all throughout the offseason as a trade candidate, as someone that teams were calling on, that, that Phoenix was willing to move. Um, I think Dario Saric, who is in this Croatia game I'm watching now, is another Suns piece that, you know, maybe does Dario and, and Crowder get packaged together to go get somebody? I don't know, but there will be interest in Jay Crowder, that's for sure. And, and I, I, I definitely can confirm I, I've heard his name mentioned in trade talks throughout the summer. So, I would be on the lookout for him to be a potential trade candidate, definitely. Do you think Phoenix has enough depth up front to move Crowder and Saric? Like, I, I feel like they're getting a little thin there at that point then, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the Suns have flexibility, being that they can run some interesting lineups with um, – Mikhail Bridges at the four, Cam Johnson at the three. Um, you know, Damian Lee is a is a bigger wing that maybe in some bench lineups could kind of. I mean, he played some small ball four ish with Golden State. Uh, Jock Landale, I think, will be someone like Frank Kaminsky in years past, where during the regular season, I'm not saying like in the playoffs, but during the regular season, they will try and and use him for large stretches of minutes to spell 
DeAndre Ayton and uh, Fesmac Biombo. Um, I think Akogi can play some minutes at the four. Like they'll they'll have options, um, but also like to your point about them being thin on the wings, like it's it's certainly seemed like Phoenix's priority for going out and adding has been like wing shooting. Like Eric Gordon's been that name that they've been really linked to in the past, right? The last past, you know, 12, 18 months. Bogdan, which I think will be a name that uh, if I haven't reported that yet, and I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, uh, that's been out there already, but I've certainly heard that's a name that's been, you know, on Phoenix's radar. I think, you know, Toronto is another team that's been calling on Bogdanovich. There'll, there'll be a competitive market for all those guys. Drake Crowder will be right in that mix. Um, and there's, there's plenty of opportunity, I think, for Phoenix to kind of, round out this rotation yeah okay thanks yeah I was just wondering because you know I, I feel like he's had some success there and it's just I don't know if he's like requested a trade or he's like hinted at it but it just seemed like it wasn't getting you know a lot of coverage to be honest I don't know why they're at that situation but I I have yeah, certainly heard a lot of talk about them potentially looking to move him um so whether that's being derived from him and his interest to want to go somewhere or, or, or them being done with Jay, I, I don't have that answer for you, but I, I definitely can confirm that he's been in trade talks for sure. All right, cool. Thanks, Jake. Thanks for taking my call. You got it. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. Um, I believe we're going to have Chris Fedor, um, the great Cavs beat writer, back on the show sometime next week. We'll have to figure out a time and place to make that happen. But um, I feel like today was mostly Nick's jazz-centered and We'll dive into Cleveland's process here. We'll dive into what's next for them. We'll dive into the future. I mean, there's already, you know, a natural question of what happens with Karis Levert in terms of, you know, he was someone who's extension eligible and what's his next deal. And they gave up assets to go get him. So there's there's plenty of meat left on this bone. Um, thank you guys for tuning in, uh, you know, noon on the Friday of a holiday weekend. Really enjoyed the talk as always. Appreciate you guys listening, following on the work. Um, Please, you know, download the app and subscribe to the show. Follow the show. You get updates on it. And you can call one and ask a question if you do make an account. Um, again, appreciate all you guys rocking with me throughout the off season, And uh, excited as, you know, we're in September now. Season's getting started soon. So a lot of great stuff coming soon. A lot of good conversation to have here. A lot of writing to be done. A lot of reporting calls to be made. And uh, we'll keep doing it. So thank you, guys. Take care.